0: Good morning uh, everybody. I hope you can uh, hear me and uh, welcome to the session on the new environmental regulations affecting shipping. Uh, I would like to express first of all my sincere thanks to Capital Link and in particular Mr. Nicholas Bornozis for this invitation and I would also like to express my many thanks to our panelists. For joining and willing to share their experiences and views with us today. The current environmental regulatory agenda, which influences new buildings and existing fleets, includes, among others, SOX compliance, NOX requirements, use of LNG as fuel, ballast water treatment systems, etc. All these requirements have significant financial impact on the owners in terms of capex, which may may reach up to several millions of USD per vessel, with significant OPEX coming on top. In addition to the cost element for the owners, there are other significant challenges which the shipping industry is facing and which we will try to discuss today Among others, we will discuss options to comply, technologies, feasibilities, benefits, problems, etc. All the above challenges are hot issues for discussion and many owners are still considering their options before making their final decision. So without wasting any more time, I will just go to the questions and I kindly ask my colleagues here to keep our time. Uh, we have scheduled for four minutes uh, for each <coughs> answer and please let us uh, try to keep that. So my first question is on NOx and goes to Costas next to me. With reference to compliance with the global sulfur cap in 2020, can we have Costa your reflections on the issues of equivalent methods of compliance, compliant and alternative fuels? availability of high sulfur fuels for scrubber fitted vessels and the direction of the bunkering market, please.
1: Good morning. We are uh, already less than two years away from the implementation date and uh, this is an equation where the unknowns still far outweigh the knowns. Uh, We know that 2020 will bring uh, a dramatic shift in the demand for marine fuels from uh, uh, residual fuel oils to fuels that will be predominantly distillate-based. I heard an excellent executive recently describe the relationship between the refining industry and the shipping industry as a marriage of convenience. For more than 60, 70 years, uh, shipping had a cheap source of energy and the refining industry had a way of getting rid of the heavier parts of the barrel. Now, this marriage of convenience is getting to a divorce in 2020. Uh, We know that time is too short for uh, refineries to go on with further upgrading projects, new cokers and hydro-treaters. These projects normally take up to five years from conception to completion, so any additional upgrading capacity of the residuals will not come online before 2023 or 2024. Uh, There will be new novel low-sulfur product offerings, uh, but as the refinery capabilities vary around the world, These grades will not be necessarily available worldwide, the same grades. So the compliant fuels uh, for 0.5% sulfur will be either blends or distillates. Blends, uh, there will be blends of several refinery streams, residues, uh, cutter stocks, hydro-treated residuals, light distillates. Uh, We could have kerosene, even naphtha, with some attention on Flashpoint, and maybe new exotic blend stocks like uh, heavy sweet crudes or hydro-treated bottom parts of the sour barrel. Uh, distillates, a large percentage of ships are expected to simply revert to burning good old marine gas oil. This is exactly what happened in 2015 in the ECAs uh, with a 0.1% sulfur limit. The uptake of uh, ultra low sulfur fuel oils it was very low at the beginning and is still quite, quite limited, so a lot of people are still burning gas oil. The main issues that we will have with uh, the new blends uh, will be compatibility and stability. These are issues that we have already faced in 2015 in the ECAS and in theory we have addressed. Um, as far as compatibility is concerned, much more needs to be done with respect to awareness and crew training in terms of fuel management on board the vessels. As even today, the level of awareness is not enviable. The equivalent methods of compliance, you asked about scrubbers. The adoption has been limited so far, maybe lower than our expectations. There is more widespread adoption for for cruise ships and uh, vessels with fixed routes. Uh, There is limited adoption in new builds, uh, tankers, bulk carriers, mainly vessels with uh, large vessels with high consumption engines. But in general, the adoption is limited. For many companies, it seems scrubbers are not a long-term solution. Some of them have been quite vocal in the news, like Maersk, you've probably read. Uh, Truth be told, if if you run the numbers, the the business case looks very solid. Of course, the expectation of these wide price differentials between heavy sulfur fuel oils and uh, 0.5% fuels may lead in increased investment in scrubbers even after 2020 which will lead in increased demand in heavy sulfur fuel oils and hence reduce the magnitude of this differential. Uh, This brings us to a very important issue you mentioned is uh, the availability of heavy sulfur fuel oil. Um, And when we say availability, we we don't mean the availability of the fuel oil as a grade. This will be available at least for a number of years until the refineries adjust. It's the availability of fuel oil as a bunker grade in ports. You certainly don't want to have the double whammy of spending the capex and finding yourself burning gas oil a lot of the time. So it's not an issue of the refineries having the product, it's an issue of the bunker suppliers, the physical suppliers, having the incentive to dedicate barge capacity or whole barges for heavy sulfur fuel oil in uh, certain ports.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Uh Sorry. Uh, I was just reading in the morning in the electronic version of Lloyd's list, the following. I just read it out for you, the and the acquisition of the necessary technology will cost $1 billion per refinery. And this consolidates actually what Costa says that uh, it's not likely to have these uh, new fuels, uh, if I could say so, in 2020. Uh, next question is about NOx, and this goes to the In connection with the compliance with the NOx regulations, TR3 and other solutions are coming these days into the picture. What are your reflections, so, the Uh, on the issues of compliance options, again, cost considerations, combining of TR3 technologies with SOx emissions and scrubbers, experience of engine manufacturers with LNG as fuel, and operational experiences so far uh, from what uh, you have seen.
2: Uh, Hello, good morning to all. Um, For Tier 3 compliance, um, compliance options can be considered the following. For um, two-stroke low-speed engines, which is a common prime mover for medicine vessels, a, a catalyst or EGR can be Uh, an appropriate method for four-stroke engines, which nowadays Vartila currently is involved only, only a catalyst uh, can apply for TR3 compliance. Uh, Of course, depending on size, certain technology can be selected. Um, Another way for TR3 compliance is having a DF engine in dual fuel, which uh, can operate on gas LNG, and uh, then this TR3 compliance can be achieved. Uh, By having a DF engine and operating on gas, greenhouse uh, gases can be reduced uh, additionally. Now, for uh, how can tier three technologies be combined with SOX emissions and scrubbers? Uh, Tier three technologies can be combined with scrubbers. We can have SCR and uh, an EGR together with a scrubber. Uh, Worth to mention that uh, Varchila has a project with uh, Solvgang, a shipping company which uh, can utilize scrubbed exhaust for exhaust gas recirculation and uh, the results are quite promising. Uh, Of course, considering the CAPEX and uh, for somebody can say for example for a Panamax vessel at China for TR3. One million additional, it's a reasonably uh, cost, an additional cost that can be considered, one million. Uh, For a larger vessel, of course, this uh, amount can uh, be increased. Uh, About the experience of uh, engine manufacturers with LNG as fuel, uh, we can say that uh, Vartsella has an extensive experience with LNG as fuel that can cover all shipping segments. From uh, LNG carriers still ROPAC vessels, there are over 1,000 installations and uh, millions of hours accumulated. Uh, Varsila has not only experience on the engines, but o- also on the total uh, system, including the tanks, the LNG tanks. The operational experience so far, for catalysts, there is uh, A very big experience from power plants, and this uh, exceeds uh, a decade of experience. And uh, also considering LNG. Nowadays we can say that this technology also can be considered as mature, because we have accumulated uh, many years of experience. Somebody can say for these technologies some additional training skills for the crew will be required. This is uh, definite, but, of course, with uh, proper training, this can be achieved.
0: So, Thank you very much, uh, Dionysi. Also, you did it faster than uh, the time schedule. Yeah. Um, uh, what is interesting to see is uh, the millions which come on the table just like that. I mean, a scrapper will cost a few million, then the, the TR3 compliance, uh, the NOx compliance, it, it's a lot of money. And uh, if we compare this with what we have seen in the morning in the presentation, the market situation is not maybe the best to, to, to provide these uh, millions. Uh, next question is uh, on LNG as fuel, and this goes uh, to Alex. Uh, Considering, Alex, the LNG-powered vessels can achieve compliance with several environmental regulations. And based on your experience with your active role in the Forward Project, can you please share with us your thoughts on the issues of LNG as fuel and its uh, techno-economic feasibility, safety and reliability issues? LNG, LNG demand and availability versus other fuels, and emissions monitoring and global enforcement. Please.
3: Thank you, Loisus. Good morning to everyone. Um, LNG is the only way to meet all regulations at the same time without the extra complexity of sandwiching different technologies one on top of the other. Um, meaning SERs, EGRs, uh, scrubbers, and so on. So LNG as a fuel is the uh, cleanest fossil fuel that uh, all of us can burn uh, by having a very, very simple engine room. And this is the beauty of it. I was sitting at a conference uh, not too long ago uh, alongside with uh, Peter Keller, who is the chairman of CLNG, and he suggested on the safety he suggested that uh, the name should be changed from LNG to something else, dropping the G. Because this is the general misconception on on this fuel, that this is a gas that, uh, you know, I hear it from a lot of people, will you have uh, floating bombs? Uh, Will your ships be floating bombs when they approach uh, ports and so on? So LNG, for those of you that don't know it, Better study it because it's going to come in force. It's, uh, it's a fuel which is uh, more and more acceptable worldwide and uh, gaining more and more awareness. Uh, there's uh, nothing explosive about it. It's a liquid fuel. In fact, it's one of the safest fuels to, to burn and to carry. 50 years now, there hasn't been a single accident on ships with LNG. So it's, a, it's quite a safe, safe fuel. Um, yeah, we have uh, 692 days until until, uh, January 1st,
0: 2020, so. Thank you you very much, uh, Alex. If I may comment on your last point, again reading in the electronic version (coughs) of uh, Lloyd's in the morning, I can just read out again two sentences. IMO has reconfirmed there will be no turning back on the 2020 Cup. And straight below that, it said something, and then some IMO members continue to push for delays. So this is going to be interesting, I think, if we will make it or or not. But definitely, uh, Alex, I think we can all of us agree that LNG is indeed uh, the the cleanest of all. Of course, uh, the technology is something which we have to work on and uh, see how it goes. Uh, Next question is on palace water treatment assistance. I'm
3: sorry, you're not completed. I'm not completed, yes. (laughs) Sorry, Alex. That's okay, that's all right. Yeah? Um, Yeah, I I guess uh, I should say a little bit more about Project Forward and what we're doing. And one of our partners is uh, Vertila sitting right next to me, uh, one of our world-class partners. We've uh, we've partnered with... uh, with uh, Shell, with Vertula, with GTT, uh, and with uh, Delta Marine in designing a ship. Um, and uh, for, for five years now, uh, with an extensive R&D uh, program, what, uh, what transpired is that LNG is actually, from point A to point B, um, you would expect it to be cheaper than low surfer fuel oil but uh, what uh, many of you will be surprised to hear is that it's actually less expensive than heavy fuel oil. So this is this is something that uh, we uh, came across and we were surprised, and uh, that's why we're continuing so actively with this uh, project. Capex-wise, of course, there are very options, many options, to uh, apply LNG technology. Um, there are the two-stroke, high-pressure. Um, uh, engines, the four-stroke, low-pressure, the um, and the two-stroke, uh, low-pressure as well. So different technologies. The proposal that we uh, bring about reduces one key component, and this is capex, and uh, that's exactly how we make LNG as fuel more attractive. Um, and. Looking at things from a total cost of ownership perspective, it uh, transpires that this is, this is becoming post 2020, of course, not today, post 2020, post first January 2020, one of the uh, best alternatives for uh, ship owners. So um, yeah,
0: thank you, Alex. Uh, my comment to that is that uh, it's really inspiring to see shipping companies participating in research projects. Uh, and uh, I think the expectation from such a project is quite high. And I can say that from coming from an organization where we invest a lot of money from our revenues in research. Uh, next uh, next question is on ballast water treatments and uh, this goes to Costantinos. With the latest IMO and USCG ballast water re- requirements in place now, the shipping industry has the major task indeed to install on thousands of ships worldwide ballast water treatment systems over the next few years. What do you think, Constantine? Uh, uh, w- we will appreciate your views on manufacturers and yards capacity, availability of enough approved systems, Extent to which the fitted systems are used <clears throat> and the operational experience so far, training and competence of the crews, and compliance with sampling and monitoring.
4: Thank you, ladies. Uh, before uh, replying to all these questions, uh, may I ask something? Have you read anything uh, on Lloyd's list this morning with regards to ballast water? Which <laughs> I should know. <laughs> 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 must probably know. Okay. Good. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, yes, um, uh, the entry into force of the convention came uh, last September, September of uh, 2017, and before that, the U.S. Coast Guard has uh, set up its own implementation dates, which are, uh, are actually affecting vessels. Uh, they're supposed to affect vessels uh, dry docking within 2016, but good for all of us, including the makers. Uh, there have been a lot of extensions for vessels with due dates within 2018. Those vessels with uh, due dates, uh, drydock due dates in 2019, we have seen that um, there have been a lot of rejection so far from US Coast Guard, therefore the the the, mar- the the shipping industry is starting to preparing installations uh, from 2019 until 2024. Uh, a big question, as you uh, you mentioned it, it's the capacity of uh, the manufacturers and the capacity of the yards. Um, with, uh, with confidence, uh, I can say that uh, the today, today's demand, it's covered uh, pretty good uh, from both manufacturers and, um, and shipyards. Uh, from our experience, we have seen that uh, good uh, detail engineering has dropped down the installation period uh, uh, of uh, ballast water treatment system on board uh, a vessel uh, to 12 uh, up to 20 days. Bulk carriers and container vessels are in the range of 12 to 15 days. And then tankers uh, and LNG carriers are in the range of uh, 15 to 20 days. Therefore, with these timelines, the capacity of the yards is, uh, is uh, it's, uh, it's adequate to serve uh, today's market. With regards to maker's uh, uh, capacity, uh, so far we have seen that uh, the major makers have a yearly capacity of 300 units. Assuming that um, six to eight of us were quite active, that the total production uh, of uh, systems goes up to um, 1,800 to 2,400 systems per year. Um, Rest assured that this is uh, a good number to serve vessels dry docking in 2019, as we have seen so far. Um, As you know uh, better than us, the market is really adaptive, therefore, um, makers, uh, we're expanding our capacity to be able to cover this demand. And I have to admit that this um, delay on the implementation of the convention and the entry into force and the installation of uh, systems have uh, helped the whole industry to prepare better to serve the big demand which is coming. So I feel confident that uh, there will be enough units uh, to serve uh, all of uh, your vessels. Um, Now, going back to the the question with regards to uh, available systems. Um, Those who have uh, IMO type approval, the number of those actually it's uh, 64 to 67 and uh, I personally believe that this is a good number. Uh, It is more than good. The more difficult, uh, the, the, the difficulty comes to those uh, makers who uh, have received the U.S. Coast Guard type approval. So far, only six of us uh, we have managed to receive uh, the U.S.C.G. type approval, and a couple of more are waiting uh, to, to receive it. Sometime in the next three to four months, I'm not sure if these uh, six or eight manufacturers a good number, but uh, what I can tell you is that the the technologies that those uh, six to eight makers uh, are representing, uh, it's it's adequate, and it's it's actually, we're lucky that we have at least one maker per technology available for treating uh, ballast water. Um, Talking with uh, with colleagues and uh, competitors, uh, we can assume or we can estimate that the total number of makers which will receive a US Costco tribe approval will be in the range of 15 to 20. Um, this will be a big challenge for all of us uh, because 20 makers may be difficult to serve the market, but as, as I said earlier, uh, I'm confident that uh, we will uh, uh, adapt uh, to, to, to those demands. Um, another question was um, the operation. We have seen systems uh, installed uh, on board mainly new new buildings since 2013, 2014, which uh, were not in operation. Uh, But um, the good news are that since summer of 2017 and seeing the the owners, uh, seeing the convention uh, to to, to come into force, they have uh, set up a specific plan to activate those ballast water treatment systems. So since last year we've seen a lot of um, uh, systems in operation, we've seen a lot of vessels operating uh, the systems, and uh, the the experience that we have so far, it's not brilliant but it's not uh, bad also, and that comes with the training. Uh, we have identified that the most important issue on operating a balanced water treatment system is the training of the officers and the crew. Uh, and um, so far in the market there are computer-based training, simulation softwares, and all of us uh, we are um, having um, onboard uh, and uh, on-site uh, uh, training uh, of, uh, um, of, of, of the crew and the officers. And uh, your last question, compliance. This week in PPR5 in London um, there is a lot of discussions uh, related to compliance. The compliance sampling will come uh, into force uh, anytime soon. We expect this to come in the next two years. So far it's only the VGP uh, sampling uh, as a compliance measure. But uh, we hear that IMO and COSCAR will ask for a full compliance testing uh, at least once per year. And this uh, compliance testing most probably will come into force from 2020 onwards. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Constantine. Um, last but not the least, it's uh, uh, Sunil representing, uh, representing the ship management site. So, we have presented to you, sooner here, some beautiful technologies. I counted about four million US dollars per vessel. Uh, And uh, you are the one who is going to pay the bill. Yes,
5: we are, we are.
0: So, uh, looking back at the history of implementing new requirements on new buildings and existing ships, we are probably facing a unique occasion where we have to implement several uh, very expensive and uh, very important this, not so well-tested equipment and technologies. So can you share with us your experiences, please, from the ship manager's perspective, and what is the actions and your immediate plans?
5: Uh, Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Uh, The main discussion, as we say, that we are living in a very interesting time. A lot of changes are happening around, and everyone is looking for quick solutions. Shipping industry is also facing challenges, operational environment, characterized by fierce competition, along with economic and political uncertainties, and more demanding regulations. At the same time, technology is developing uh, rapidly, some of which can help companies to improve their operations, but in term of efficiency and safety. And then there is digitization. Everyone feels that it will solve all of our problems indeed this is quite a unique occasion where requirements are overlapping while options are available to address each new reg- regulations none is clear cut and efficient solution from ship managers perspective retrofitting existing vessels there are various issues and practical problems when selecting the right equipment there is no one size that fits all. And there are more issues to consider, space availability, applicability of the system, retrofitting of scrubbers, installing additional generators, so there are a lot of things. So as a professional technical manager, we are also acting as technical advisors and consultant to our owners. And we have As fleet, we have taken certain actions to mitigate implementation and operational problems. We have uh, uh, invested in the training of our people. This, you also shared, and that's the only one way to move forward to ensure that these new technologies are operational and give operational satisfactories. And we have done this both ashore and also for seagoing staff. We have uh, established in-house a team of service engineers that is available to travel at any location and attend problems on board. We made also contracts with all major vendors, manufacturers and suppliers so that the spare parts can be available at reasonable cost and quickly. We have an in-house new building team which is overseeing and controlling the retrofitting of this equipment. And last, not the least, we have also created a dedicated cell which is monitoring each and every ship which is going to U.S. So they are giving advices to the master how to run BWTS, how to report, and if there are problems then we immediately go back to the flag and class and also use cholera so that we do not land up in a situation where the owners have to pay half a million dollars just to ship that vessel from port to outside and do the needful. So this is our action plan. What we are doing as of now.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Sunil. Um, I, I have one more question, which will go to all the panelists. Yeah. And uh, please, uh, whoever feels that you can contribute. And the question is, what do you th- what do you see is the strategies now from from the shipping companies? Uh, we have seen uh, uh, some approaches like go ahead with things or wait and see and uh, there is also some discussions about possibility of seeing vessels phased out because of the requirements that we have seen and the high cost basically to, to implement the new technologies. So please, uh, it's open, whoever can contribute to this. Could I start, Could
2: I start with some comments? Yes. Uh, about company strategies what we have seen is that um, in uh, recently companies that could select uh, a tier 2 vessel would uh, perhaps uh, select this possibility because of the reduced capex but uh, considering this moment what we see uh, for the tier 3 vessels are uh, dominating in uh, vessel offering so nowadays we see that all companies would go for a tier vessel. Uh, About the other point, if we likely would see vessels to phase out concerning NOx and TR3, uh, for this, what we can say is going to TR3 for existing ships, uh, not new building, existing ships, this will be unlikely as going from TR1 to TR2. This has not been requested by legislation, so for the existing ships. We believe the same would apply, so we think that legislation will not ask to go from Tier 2 to tr 3. So it concerns only new buildings. Thank
0: you, Dionysio. Uh,
1: yes, I think the, we can all see that the predominant strategy in the shipping sector is wait and see. It's what you described. And to be fair, the same strategy is what we see also in uh, most refiners. The thing is, uh, there is no consensus on exactly what to do in 2020, so uh, this will be evolution by natural selection. The, the market will balance out eventually, but th- there's no consensus on exactly what to do. Wait and see. On phase-out, definitely any, any need for considerable capital expenditure on older vessels uh, is a factor driving uh, demolition decisions. But I think this will mainly depend on, on the freight market, on the scrap prices, and on the bunker prices more than anything else.
0: Thank you, Costa. Some other colleague? Yeah. Alex?
3: Yeah, the, uh, any, any such regulatory shift creates uh, uh, opportunities. And uh, uh, the new regulation should actually encourage us. To, uh, to move forward and change and to find ways to do things better than we did in the past and even better than the actual regulations themselves dictate so um, the uh, the environmental regulations are uh, moving rapidly and um, and will accelerate It took uh, six or more decades for us to uh, to be able to see these uh, stringent emission standards that we are seeing, as much time as it took from the Wright brothers to the jumbo jet, more or less. So I can only imagine that they will accelerate even more going forward. And uh, in our case, at least, we have uh, taken a decision. We know where we're going. We're going towards LNG. We have a family tradition of innovation, innovation for a cause. and. Uh, This is what we're doing.
0: (coughs) Thank you very much, uh, Alex. Uh, Constantine, and Sunil.
3: For
5: us, uh, we do not have the luxury as a manager to have a lot of money to invest in new technologies. So we want to be a little conservative. We do not want our owners to spend money without realizing whether they are getting benefit or not. So we actually take a wait-and-see approach Look at technologies, which is working, which is not working, and how this can be adopted so that the crew can operate or the shore team can assist in operating these. So these are the basic questions which are facing a fleet manager. So we would like to wait and see more tests and results to pinpoint which technology could be adopted. Of course, we are guided by the environmental policies and compliance program. So if this has to move fast, so we have to also adopt and change quickly to adopt them.
0: Thank you, Sunil.
5: Constantine? Yeah, take one.
4: Thank you. As I said earlier, this um, the wait and see uh, strategy uh, has supported the balanced water market because it made uh, all of us uh, more mature. However, I believe that uh, we are in a position now that um, we should take actions. This wait and see should be the past strategy, and uh, the future should be uh, take actions and uh, and move uh, move forward ahead. Now, um, by law, you know old vessels should be installed the ballast water treatment system by specific deadlines, uh, which includes uh, old vessels which the investment may not be worthy. Um, So, unfortunately, those vessels may be led to scrapping. Um, we hope that this will not um, influence uh, the market in a bad way, but it may influence uh, the market in a good way of repl- repl- replacement some uh, vessels
0: and um, support the rising of, uh, of, uh, of the daily rates. Thank you. Thank you, Costantini. I think we can take uh, one or two questions from the audience. We have another three minutes. Uh, so please, if uh, there is any question.
2: Um,
4: okay. The, the cost Guard has uh, has um, gave, gave this, uh, this obligation or this uh, feasibility uh, to, um, to sub subcontractors and mainly NSF the national, uh, the national um, sanitary foundation. Those guys are working on, uh, on a solution, but I think that this will take long. So from the Costco perspective, uh, unofficially they claim that um, the compliance will be based on uh, the initial compliance uh, check will be based on documents. An officer will go on board and will start uh, asking the, the uh, officer of the vessel what type of system they have on board, how many times they're using it, uh, to, to put it uh, in operation, etc., etc, etc. But the IMO, on that perspective, uh, uh, moves a bit uh, faster. So this week uh, our representative in PPR has reported back to us that IMO is taking for full (coughs) compliance testing, including not the three pathogens of VGP, but uh, the bugs 10 to 50 and above 50, once per year. And we know that there are already laboratories uh, around the globe that they provide such a service. So this is uh, what we are expecting. Yeah, all of us were trying to design systems that operating without distracting the, the operating profile of the vessel. Yeah,
5: Thank but you. in practical terms, it's not easy. It's still taking a lot of time. Uh, we have uh, so many of these equipment installed, and once we start operating, we realize that at least sixty to seventy percent are not working as per the requirement. And then people are also not used to this technology and how to present these papers to U.S. Coast Guard we are finding a lot of mistakes in that so there is a lot to be done on this
4: that's that's uh, that's a good point that's a that's a really good point and that comes into them because I suppose that you mainly have um, uh, systems from new buildings
5: system from new building and also we have installed now so both uh
0: okay Uh, this was so interesting Uh, comments thank you very much And uh, uh, closing this session, I will uh, say that we are facing these days a unique situation where the shipping industry is asked to implement a number of environmental regulations, all of them at the same time, at high cost and with a lot of technical challenges, as we have heard. We all need to be on the alert and try to comply in the most cost efficient way. Once more, I would like to express my thanks to Capital Link and Mr. Nicolas Bornozis, And uh, thank you all for listening. And this brings me exactly spot on time.